You are now listening to the Claim It Podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman. On this podcast, I absolutely love going deep, having a real conversations about the journey of their life with people who inspire and intrigue me. I love having these conversations with so much. It's incredible how someone you either may know for a long time or don't know at all, but are intrigued by, just like really open up in these conversations. Today, I have Light Watkins. He is a best-selling author, meditation teacher, founder of the Shine Movement. He's delivered over 500 wellness-themed talks around the globe since 2007. Loved hearing his story, digging in, and I'm pretty sure you're going to love it too. Um, I love in these conversations when people say like, oh, wow, I haven't thought about that forever. Oh, wow, nobody's ever asked me that. Oh, I've never told me this story. And that happens a few times in this one. Before we get into it, make sure to hit the follow button and share about the podcast. If you enjoy it, share it, screenshot it, tag us. And also leave a review. If you leave a review of the podcast, screenshot it and send it to me at podcast at yourjoyologist.com. And I will send you a gift from my product line. Here we go. All right. So I like to start, you can go even earlier, but I really like uh, talking about high school years of your life. Like where you can talk about where you actually lived, but just I think that in high school is really can be where a lot of pressure starts to build of like, who should I be? What should I be doing with the rest of my life? And from parents, from teachers, from that, or just trying to like look around you and trying to figure out who am I? So I like knowing about high school and like, yeah, where you were, what was going on? And did you have any sort of ideas of what your life was going to turn into or get pressured for anybody else? Oh, that's such a great question. I don't think I've ever <laughs> been it. asked that question before. <laughs> So I grew up during the Ferris Bueller years, right? Did you see that movie at all? Ferris Bueller stays off. Yeah. So th that was my aspiration in high school was to become Ferris Bueller. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, it was interesting, even though it was like this comedy, I think it, it, especially in hindsight, it was a clue into how the world actually works. Right. It's not about the smartest person in the room. It's about it's about the most connected person. It's about having the gift of gab. It's about, you know, being able to influence and inspire. And 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 that's been my experience in quotes real life. So so back in high school, I was I was class president all four years in high school. And I think I think I won. What made you, what do you remember? Like what made you even want to run for class president? I just felt like no one was going to be able to do it better than me. No one was going to be able to lead better than me. <laughs> it's very humble. I love it. <laughs> and I was good at running. I, I was a marketer back then. So I, I was, you know, I had these little posters and it was, a, you know, it's a fairly decent, it was one of the biggest high schools in my town of Montgomery, Alabama. So we had like probably a couple thousand students, public school. And uh, yeah, I just, I just was having fun with the whole thing. I don't even remember what, what I, what my agenda was, you know, for being president, but I, I, it sounded like a great title. And back then I was really into titles and accolades and this idea of success being external um, you know, re rewards for external achievements. Yeah. It's got to mean something about you. If people voted you the president, like for like, that's how we can do like, Oh, if I have this title, yeah. I, I was a very likable, I was a very likable person. I was the type of person that could connect with anybody. I could connect with the athletes. I could connect with the, the outcasts and the misfits. So another fun fact about me is that in junior high school, I won the award, not for academics, but for attendance. I don't think I've ever told anybody this before, but I had we perfect were very attendance. Different. 
I did I did not want to go to school and I did not want to have anything to do with the school. Like I was like, I would you would not see me running for anything that I had to do with the school. Right. But the reason why I had perfect attendance was not because I was a nerd. I actually didn't do all that well in school. I was kind of a B, like a B minus student. I just love the social aspect of school. I love like observing people. I've always been a people watcher my whole life. I've always loved the social dynamics and the political dynamics of just people coming together and cooperating with one another or not cooperating and seeing what happens in that situation. Fights would occasionally break out, you know, because again, I was in public school. So it was, a, you know, public school is not that far from jail <laughs> when it comes to metal detectors and, you know, just people being unruly. And so you just never knew what was going to happen. And, and, and one of the, um, one of the moments from school that I, I still remember to this day that really changed a lot for me was I was, I think I was a senior, maybe I was a junior, but I was near the end of my school years. And I realized that I was putting a lot of thought, a lot of effort into what I was wearing every day. And I started wondering just spontaneously, maybe I saw a movie or something. I don't remember this part, but I just started wondering, is anybody even paying attention to what people wear, right? And I decided to conduct my own little anecdotal experiment. And the experiment was, I was going to wear the same outfit every day for one week. And it was the outfit at the time, which was in fashion in Montgomery, Alabama, in the 90s <laughs> was uh, these these sort of uh, beige parachute pants and this purple mock turtleneck. Actually, we're back in fashion now. It, it took a little while, but <laughs> we're back. So, and these these like deck shoes, these boat shoes, we call them. And so I would wear that and I come home and then I would wash it and then I would wear it again the next day and repeat that for every day. And to my surprise, nobody said anything. Nobody said a word. I don't know if they noticed it and just decided not to say a word, but either way, it, it, it revealed to me that either people are so self-absorbed that they're not paying attention to things like that, and or if they are paying attention to things like that, they don't care. Like People don't care enough to even say anything. And that was very liberating for me because it allowed me to not put so much stock into, you know, what I was wearing. I mean, I was still concerned about looking good, but, you know, all that extra energy into having to have a new thing to wear every day that went out of the window. And I think that was probably my first preview of my upcoming minimalism <laughs> adventure, which would happen, you know, decades later. But that's, that's one of the things that I think about. I love that you had that awareness of like, putting so much energy in what am I going to wear today? And then like trying out that experiment that like that says a lot about you. I mean, I had my own moments in high school too, where it was, and I had like a breakdown moment where it was like realizing I'm trying so hard, like to like fit in or what's the right thing to wear and the right music. Is it okay for me to raise my hand in class? Cause I do to the answer like, or not like, is it better not to, because like, I don't want to be smart or like show off or something like that. Like really constantly, like what's the right way, the acceptable thing to do. And be like, what if I, what do I think? <laughs> what if I asked myself, do I want to wear this? Do I like that music? Do I want to raise my hand? And it's so interesting. And it's still to this day, something, I have to consistently do come back to, whoa, where am I going? Like, where's my mind going into like, what are the people out there going to think? But like, what do I, what do I think? All right. All right. <laughs> like this constant rechecking in where I feel like we're trained to be like, what is everybody else going to think about me? When you, like you said, in those people, and also you didn't name, people could have seen you wearing the same outfit and been talking about you behind your back. But also, if that happened, you didn't know or feel anything. So also, well, who cares if somebody is judging me or something like this? It actually didn't affect me like that. And that was like our own judgment of ourselves that really affects us and the fear of what other people are going to judge us for. But they might have been judging you and you didn't know. So who cares? <laughs> exactly. 
Exactly. So what happened? Um, so prior, class president, did you have your sights set on what you were going to do post high school? And like, yeah. So I, w- I wanted to go to college because that was what everybody was doing. And, um, and I wanted to get out of Alabama. I wanted to get out of small town Alabama. And so anywhere that was a big city that had a decent university. Initially, I wanted to study architecture. And so I was I had my, my sights set on Boston University. And then I decided, you know what? I really don't want to live in Boston. It's too cold and there's not enough diversity. And I wanted to be somewhere more diverse. So I ultimately chose Howard University, which is a uh, historically Black college in Washington, D.C., which was a great, you know, diverse, big city. I'd never been there before. I did a site visit with my my dad and I fell in love. And I just knew that was, so that was the first, so first of all, that was the first decision. I feel like that was one of the first autonomous decisions that I made as a, I wasn't an adult at the time, but it was very close to being 18, which is considered an adult in, in America. And it was the first time that I had the feeling of familiarity with something that I chose for myself, right? I didn't have language for it. I just knew that when I was there, it felt good. It felt right. It felt aligned with what I was, what I was feeling inside and with what I was seeing for myself. I didn't know at the time that that feeling would repeat itself every time I took a leap of faith in my life and that I had to have that feeling in order to move forward with whatever that leap was. And if it wasn't there, then that would be a, a, a firm no. No matter how glittery it looked or how it looked on paper, if I didn't have that feeling of of it being aligned, then that wasn't for me. That wasn't a part of my path. But if it did feel aligned and it and it didn't look glittery and people were questioning it, then it didn't matter, right? That was a yes. So so that was the first time looking back in hindsight. Again, I've never talked about this before. So thank you for asking me these kinds of questions. But it's it's making me remember these these really interesting embers in my path. So thank you. Yeah. And that's, I'm so glad that you said that. And I even got chills because yeah, what I was hearing is sort of like so often in life, I feel like we feel like in order to make a choice, we need to have this like dissertation about why we are making this choice to convince ourselves and other people. Right. It needs to make sense and be logical. But a lot of times, and same with me in my life, it's been this feeling where I'm like, this maybe doesn't even make sense. Like that choice really like, sure made sense for you, but maybe you again, like, didn't have like, these are the reasons, or maybe I don't even know exactly why, but like this feels right. And like the the allowing ourselves to, to lean into those feelings, even when we're like, I don't really know why I am feeling like this way here at home here or feeling pulled to this person or place and just allowing that and trusting that. So I love that you just describing that. That was really special. And I hope people out there listening will like be like, oh, right, I don't need to like have this whole thing. And then, yeah, you don't need other people to agree with you about it. <laughs> you don't have to like try to give them dissertation about why it's right. Even, yeah, this is what it feels right to me is enough. <laughs> it's 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 almost so obvious that it's easy yes. to overlook. If something feels right. I feel like so much <laughs> right? in life, I feel like people like I will be the things that I will say and share. It's people are like, oh, that's too easy or that's too small. So it's unimportant. And like, wh- why? Like our lives are made up of how we feel in these small moments and everything, but the details of that and like not even understanding things. But again, trusting. Trisha here bringing you a brief interruption. Did you know? that I have a daily inspiration app. You can get it right now on the Apple app or Google Play app store. It's called Own Your Awesome. You can also get a 52 card deck with the same name in my shop at shop.yourjoyologist.com. But the app has hundreds of powerful thoughts and affirmations. You can come to the app at any time of day and get a little reminder, a little thought, a little thing to which your thoughts? I just opened it and got, <laughs> sometimes it's best to say F it, drop everything and do whatever the F brings you joy in that moment. Now I'm going to hit show me a card again. And I got, I don't have to believe everything that I hear, no matter who is saying it. I'm going to hit show me a card again. And I got, I trust what is coming. I am in the flow. You can hit the heart button and save it to your favorites. You can share it. 
you can go to the three lines up in the top left hand and go to daily and set a time to get reminders every single day. Because, you know, we forget to do the things that we love that supports us. So set a reminder. And then every day at that time, you'll get a reminder to go pull a card. I don't know how it works. So many people message me like, how does this thing give me the exact message I need? (laughs) Like people tell me all the time that it's magic. They always end up getting the message they need. I'm not saying that. I've been told that. So go get it. It's only $3.99. One-time purchase. There's no ads. There's no other fees. That's all. Go get it today and own your awesome. So you did end up attending... I went to Howard University and I was there for four years. I graduated with a degree in communications. I wanted to work in advertising still. That was my sort of dream. And just to, you know, that, and that was the first time. <laughs> no. <laughs> was the advertising came from like marketing? Did, was that like seeing again with like sort of seeing where you were like getting uh, or winning, or becoming the class president? Like, were you seeing like, oh yeah, I'm good at bringing people on board for things. I'm good at. Exactly. Yes. Yes. I'm good at, at advertising. I'm good at getting a message across, telling a story. I didn't, again, I didn't have that language back then. I just thought I just like ads. I just really liked ads and I like creating ads. So, but I was going to say before, before I left college, I was um, I had interviewed. I'd gone out for the editor of the yearbook, which I also was the editor of the yearbook in high school in high school as well. Uh, so I went out for the editor of the yearbook in college, which was a big deal because it was it was one of the highest paid positions a student could have at my particular college. I think it paid like four or five hundred dollars a week, which was like you were like Rockefeller if you were making yeah, back four event, especially as a college a student, yeah, in like college, college job, yeah, so. So I got that job. It was a very uh, hotly contested, you know, inter- selection process, but I got it. And I did it and I did a phenomenal job. I was a junior when I became editor, which is also a rarity. So naturally, if you're an editor as a junior, then you're expected to, you don't even have to interview for the job. You're just expected to continue on with the job as a senior because you're already seasoned. you got experience, et cetera. And I decided not to do it, which again, on paper was a crazy, insane decision. You're turning down all that money. You're turning down the prestige. You're turning down that choice parking space, all the the fringe benefits that come with this. And there were a lot of fringe benefits. I mean, it's a very high status position at that particular time and at that particular university, but it just didn't feel aligned. Again, I didn't have language for it. I just kind of felt, okay, this is not, I'm not, I'm not meant to do this again. And I, and I elected to uh, resign, to withdraw my, my, my nomination for that position, which of course shocked everybody. And was that even too, that you enjoyed doing it the first time? Oh, I loved it. It was fantastic. In the junior year too. So yeah, I wanted to be clear on like, I was guessing that it was that you're like, yeah, this is amazing. I love this. And then also, okay, great. I've yeah done this and sort of feeling like, okay, I'm ready for something. I was like, I, I love it. And there's other things to explore too. This is my last year in college. And this takes up a lot of my time. I want to explore photography. I want to work on Capitol Hill, see what that's like. I want to do all these other things. So it was the, it was, it was really the first time in my life where I followed my curiosity as an adult without feeling like I needed to fit into the conventional, I, the conventional path of success. And I didn't know that was going to end up playing out even more later on in my adult life with taking leaps of faith, becoming nomadic and stuff like that. But at the time, I just, and I I would never have said, oh, I'm following my curiosity. I just thought, you know, I've done this and now I want to try something, something else. And so I was fortunate enough. I used some of my Ferris Bueller skills from high school to get, to land a choice internship at this boutique ad agency in Chicago. And I was there for uh, just after graduation and it was fantastic. It was a great job. But it felt like a job. It felt like, you know, I have to go clock in, clock out. And I was like, you know what? This is always going to be here, right? I can always come back and do this. And I looked around the office 
And I did a, a bit of a mental thought experiment. I said, okay, let's look at the people who've been here the longest. Let's look at the people who've done the, the most, who, who've exceeded, who've excelled to the highest levels, right? Do I want to be like them? Do I want to have their kind of life? And what I felt at that time was that those people were so deep, deeply rooted into those positions that even if they wanted to change things, they probably would have a hard time doing that. Right. And I just thought, you know what, I don't want to, I don't want to be in some kind of golden cage because I excelled in this area that I'm not really all that passionate about. I realized after working in it for a little while, and there's so much more. And then we live on this planet. There's so much on this planet to explore. There's, there's continents, there's countries, there's cultures. Let me, let me go do a little bit of exploration first. And then I can always come back and do this advertising thing. So I guess I was fortunate in that I didn't have this desire to be successful. I didn't have this desire to make as much money as possible, maybe because my you're like, prove yourself, I think, or like, this is what we should do. You get out of college, you get a job, you have to establish yourself. And my family was, you know, they weren't, we weren't rich, but we, we weren't poor either. We were very middle class and we always had, you know, pretty much whatever we wanted in Alabama. And so I, and my dad had a couple of really profitable years as an attorney and, uh, and he was kind of a big fish in a small pond. So I got to kind of see what that was like. And even with him, like I respect him. He's one of my heroes, but I didn't, I didn't want to be what he was. I didn't need to be that. I didn't need to have everybody, you know, being grateful for me and this and that and wanting to, you know, peacock and, <laughs> and you know, be that big fish. I was happy with just tasting different colors of life. And, um, and so I decided to, to resign from that job after three months. And that was the one and only nine to five job I've ever had. And so what did you do? <laughs> it sounded like you had like wonderlust. Did you go travel or? Okay. So back in college, I, I was, uh, recruited to be in these, these, uh, rinky dink. I shouldn't call them rinky dink. They were just amateur fashion shows. I was tall, relatively attractive. And um, so I was in these fashion shows. And so I had it in my mind that I could potentially work as a fashion model. Like, why not try? Why not, right? So it was another leap of faith moment in my life. I decided to, and what I didn't realize at the time was that you don't nominate yourself to be a model. You get discovered. That's how it usually happens. But I discovered myself. So... You know, I'm still kind of coasting on that whole, that, that, that mindset that made me think I could be the president of this class. I could be the editor of the yearbook. I could be a model. Why not? Why not me? And you're probably like, what, 22? I'm trying to think a college graduate. Yeah, like 22 at the time. Yeah. So it's kind of, again, that Ferris Bueller sort of mentality. Like, I can do whatever I want to do. I just have to put it, put it out there try. and take yeah. the steps and <laughs> yeah, at least try. Exactly. It's funny. I've never talked about that movie, but I guess it was very pivotal. You're not, gonna, I'm going to feel like I'm going to go rewatch it. it this weekend. <laughs> I used to watch it all the time growing up. I know it's so inspiring. It's so inspiring. So, so yeah, I went around to these local modeling agencies in Chicago and it's funny. I, I didn't do this before I quit. I quit first. So I didn't have a backup plan. So it wasn't like, oh, yeah, maybe I'll get model it. Yeah, let me do this. So yeah, I quit. And then like, oh, maybe I can. Go. Yeah, no, I didn't have any like bookings that made me feel safe enough to quit my job. I just knew no matter what happened, I, I didn't want to work there anymore. So if the modeling thing didn't work, then I would just take another leap of faith somewhere else. And I went around to all the agencies. I got rejected by every single one of them. There's probably like six of them. And I got rejected by all of them. And I learned later that the reason why I got rejected was because I didn't have the right kinds of photos because I had, I had gotten a friend of mine who was a fine arts photographer to take pictures of me. And those were the photos I was going around showing the, the modeling agencies. And, and what you need, if you really want to be a model is you need fashion photos, which are different kind of photos than fine art, fine art photos, where it's really all about the light and the background. Fashion photos are all about showing you know, the, the clothes. So I happened 
to be in this cafe and this woman was next to me and we got to talking and turns out she was a photographer who shot fashion photos. And, uh, and I told her my dilemma and she said, I would, I'll, te- I'll shoot some photos for you. And she reshot my, uh, my photos. And I went back, got rejected by everybody again, except for the last agency, which was elite models in Chicago. And, and the woman there, her name was Amy. She said, oh, we'll represent you in Chicago. We'll be your mother agency, which is, which means your original agency. And, um, and yeah, so that started this, this whole modeling trajectory. So you did end up modeling for a while. I mean, don't get it. I, look, I wasn't, like uh, on I wasn't or a, like, whatever. Uh, super, <laughs> no, 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 no. I wasn't a supermodel. I was getting maybe one job every blue Got moon. it. And I ended up, I ended up having to wait tables later on and, you know, but it was so much compared to working in the office. It was fantastic. Every day was different. I was going on these castings. I was meeting all these people. I was around beautiful women all the time. And the thing with modeling versus working in a, in an office, when you work in an office, you know what your paycheck is going to be at the end of every pay period, right? When you're modeling, you could get a $50,000 contract at any moment. You could get a $25,000 commercial at any moment. So it's kind of like that lottery mentality this where could you could win like it could the be a, you could get a no, any you day. could get like here's $500 yeah. or it could be like you're exactly. good for the rest of the year. <laughs> for the rest exactly. So that and you know and and I and I met people who were who were working like that. So you know, it, it whets your appetite and plus your your youthfulness and your naivete and your willingness to, to live in a, a financially unstable life is all you need to 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 explore that. And so I was I loved it. It was fantastic. I love the uncertainty. I love the rejection even because it calloused me to getting rejected for the most superficial reasons. And it, and it just allowed me to keep putting myself out there again and again. And then eventually I left Chicago and I went to Miami and I took these other trips and I got rejected by everybody, but I didn't mind because I had a reason to go to New York. I had a reason to go to Italy. I had a reason to go to Paris, even though I wasn't fulfilling that purpose, but I felt like I was being guided along the way. And again, I didn't have language for any of this. I didn't, not until many, many years later, but I think that was one of the, the, the most fascinating times of my life. And so what happened? Like, did you reach a point that you're like, okay, it's time for me to try something new or did something new just end up showing up that you wanted to do? Or sh- Okay. So when I went to Miami, I'm like, so as a new model, right? You're, and I was coming from the business world. So I'm like getting dressed up and going to my castings. Nobody was dressing up. People were going to castings with no shirt on, with raggedy jeans and skateboards and and I'm, I'm looking like a square, you know, completely green, not knowing. And, and, and what's ironic is the people who look like street, you know, homeless people, they're the ones booking all the jobs and the squares aren't getting anything because we, we care too much. And the trick with modeling is you can't care as much. <laughs> right. So one day I'm on Washington Avenue or whatever it's called on South Beach. And I see this this um, this guy on the next block and he's, he's on the corner and he's smoking a cigarette. He's, he's got raggedy jeans on. He's got no shirt on. He's got a great body and everything. And he kind of looks like me. And as I got closer to him, I realized that he was one of my role models. He's this guy I would see in the magazines and in the modeling world, if there's one or two people that look like you, that's always being mentioned when you go to castings. Oh, you know, we already booked Michael for this job and Michael will be your competition, right? Like today, people tell me I look a lot like Will Smith. If me and Will Smith were both in the fashion industry and Will Smith was a little bit further ahead um, than I am, then Will Smith would always get the job and I would always be, you know, compared to Will Smith. So I saw this guy who was always getting the jobs that I wanted to get. And, uh, and he was like, you know, it was like I was seeing Jesus Christ or somebody. I was like, that's the guy that always books these jobs and he's on everybody's uh, short list for these jobs. And, and he's been doing this for a lot longer. 
And I went up to him and I was all nervous and I introduced myself and I told him it was, you know, it was an honor to meet him and all that. And he's just standing there in the corner smoking cigarettes with no shirt on, looking at me, you know, I'm dressed up and everything. And he's just staring at me as I'm talking to him. And then eventually he takes a drag of a cigarette and he looks at me and he goes, you should stop eating meat. And it was like Jesus telling me to stop eating meat. So I'm, I'm, he's got my full attention. I'm like, why? Why should I stop eating meat? What's wrong with me? I never even considered in a million years eating, uh, not eating meat, right? Because where I grew up in Alabama, you didn't eat for nutrition or anything like that. You ate for taste and you ate to get full. So I would eat regularly at Wendy's, you know, pizza, whatever fast food was around. And he said, you should stop eating meat because it's causing water retention in your cheeks. So it, wasn't, it had nothing to do with health. It was all about aesthetics. And if you lose that sort of baby fat, that water retention, you'll, your cheekbones will become more refined and you'll get more work that way. But again, this was Jesus telling me to stop eating meat. So I stopped, I stopped eating meat. And, and what's interesting is that when I stopped eating meat, I actually felt better. Now, it wasn't the meat. I didn't know this at the time. It wasn't the meat that I was eating that made me feel bad. It was the fast food meat. It was the pizza. It was the hamburgers. That's all I was pretty much eating on a daily basis. You know, it was cheap. It was readily available. And it tasted good. And that's, that was my criteria for whatever I was going to be eating at that time. And I noticed that I felt better and I and it, it was an aha moment. I said, oh my God, there's a connection between diet and how you feel. And so that was my sort of gateway moment that got me into yoga many years later when I was modeling in New York and that got me into meditation. So just from Jesus, the Jesus model... <laughs> From Jesus telling me to stop eating meat while smoking a cigarette with no shirt on, standing on the corner, it led me to you and I having this conversation right now. Who would have thought? Amazing. Well, I'm guessing too, because you're saying it wasn't maybe just the fact you're eating meat, but what you were eating too. So when you did be like at first, okay, meat, wait, don't eat meat. Did you then still, did it make you like totally like, well, what am I going to eat? Or were you still going to the fast? Like, okay, I can still have French fries and you know what I mean? I became a, a hardcore vegan for 12 years over, I didn't do it right that moment, but, but I mean, there can be like unhealth. What I'm saying too, is like unhealthy vegans. Like, cause I had people when I was in high school back in the day too, that like turned vegan because of animal, but then they did mostly like potato chips and, you know, like things that still really didn't have nutrient, but they're like, but I'm not eating meat. So were you able, like just the fact of like, I'm not eating meat. Did it make you like open you up to like Oh, right. Va vegetables and this, or, you know, was it just, okay. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like I didn't do it. I didn't do it overnight. I didn't, I, it took me a couple of years to get to that point, but, and I, I started reading a lot of, I started reading like all the classic old school vegetarian literature, diet for a new America and the China report and all these kinds of things. This is what, this is in the nineties, right? So this is before these popular documentaries, there were no vegetarian. The only vegetarian restaurants were these restaurants from the seventies and the eighties, and they all had wood paneling and, you know, and, and, but at that time I was basically cooking all my meals. I was making these big salads, these big kale salads. And that's all I would pretty much eat every day was a different kale salad that I would prepare and, or some other kind of vegetarian. But yeah, I was, you know, everybody goes through the analog meat phase, but then that's stuff is not sustainable. And if you understand the mood thing with, with the nutrition thing, then you, you get, you go through that phase pretty quickly. So yeah, I'm not a vegan. Now I started back eating. I realized that it wasn't, the, it wasn't the meat itself. It was the fast food meat that I was eating. And I'd never really given grass fed, sustainably raised, you know, protein a try. So I, I started dabbling in that uh, several years ago. And now that's part of my diet. Although the, the basis of my diet is still mostly plants, but, but yeah, now I have a lot of, uh, other things that I'm doing as well. I consider myself to be a selectitarian now. Ooh. Yeah, no, I feel like I was the same too. When I sort of gotten into eating better, it was, uh, I have fibromyalgia 
And I, when I first got diagnosed, it was like, well, here's some pills and there wasn't information. So it was just like me trying to do things myself and eating. So it did seem like uh, that was in the early 2000s. Like, okay, then it's like, yeah, eating vegetarian just seems like that healthy, they're healthiest. But then, yeah, like slowly like figuring out like, wait, okay, yes, you eat more real food, like whole foods, real foods. And yes, you can still have animal protein, but being more selective about where it is. But yeah, it is interesting how a lot of it can go to like vegan <laughs> like immediately like to clean it up and also just like maybe you can take also smaller steps but so okay so you're still modeling and you just then start to notice a difference in how you feel by what you're putting into your body and then you discover yoga and how you feel in your body same I also like yeah started with food took a yoga class at a gym that I was like so like I don't want to be doing thing in a group class but also was drawn to take this yoga class and then it like changed my life <laughs> same with me yeah it started in the gym I had that initial uh reaction aversion to it because I I, I, took, the, I took the wrong class basically the teacher was like giving doing too much and I was like I need a little bit more gradual approach to this and once I found the teacher that I resonated with, I had that feeling again, the alignment, and then I just became addicted to yoga. I couldn't get enough of it. And then I started to think, okay, the modeling stuff is done. I, I, I can't do this anymore. And that's ironically when I started to become more successful as a model. I was like, this is not really where it's at. Oh, really? Yeah. Was that more like, do you feel like you would just sort of reached like you'd been doing it for a while and even though you're successful, you're just, again, like sort of outgrowing it? Or was it also then just being more in touch with yourself and getting into the yoga? And It was the yearbook. It was the yearbook experience. I feel like I've done this. I, I know what this is about. I looked around. I saw the people who had achieved the most in that industry. And I was like, I don't really want to be any of them, you know? I really like these people who are teaching yoga, though. I, I think those they're really interesting. And people who are in, into meditation, they're, they're really interesting. That's what I want to explore next. So so I, um, I took the leap out of modeling, and that's what brought me to Los Angeles, where I started um, teaching yoga full-time. And then soon after that, I met my meditation teacher, who inspired me to want to become a meditation teacher. Trisha here. Did you know that my first book is now available all over? It is called F the Shoulds, Do the Wants. Get clear on who you are, what you want, and why you want it. You can go to ftheshouldsdothewants.com and find all the places to order it from. And you can also get bonuses there, a five-part bonus video series plus an exclusive tapping meditation. If you've already bought it, head there. So what is this book about? It's uncovering all of the shoulds that are messing with you, making you feel like you're not enough, stealing your joy, putting you in comparison, judgment, shame, guilt. Also, it shows you how to cut through the shoulds that keep you procrastinating or feeling like you're not enough for doing things the way that you do it. It can help you prioritize what you actually want in your life. And this isn't one big want, like, let me, I'm going to go chase this dream. This will help for that too. But there are seriously so many ways you are holding yourself back daily by living into the shoulds. And so this will teach you and guide you to connect with you. Who are you? What do you want? The person that is within you right now, not your past self, not your future self, not what so-and-so told you you should be or you should look like or what equals success or all of that. You don't even know, trust me, how many shoulds are affecting you. Go get the book, read it, listen to it. It's in the Audible as well. And let me know what you think. F the shoulds, do the once. How has that gone from moving to LA to become a yoga teacher to now you've written, is it three books that are, are they all based on meditation somewhat? Like mindfulness, meditation, and like, yeah, like that, like now a lot of. Yeah, uh, that's the secret is they're all meditation books. They're all meditation books, but with happiness, with inspiration, with minimalism, you know, all these different ways of getting people to 
to take the bait. <laughs> and what, so yeah, like, but so you becoming a meditation, meditation, I'm going to say like leader and guide, but in meditation author now, like that's a pretty big deal from going from, oh, let me go teach yoga. All right, let me get into meditation and then really putting yourself out there in the world. Do you think like, what happened that it made you be like, I need to not just be like, teaching people this, but like, let me write books. Let me really get out this in a bigger way. Was it going back to even just like, well, yeah, like, of course, like I can be the president. Like, yeah, like I can just share this, you know, or like this real need of like, hey, why don't people know this? Or like getting people more access to that. Like, what do you think has continued to make you (laughs) show up and share? What happens with uh, regular meditation is that the universe, you know, it's like that story from the Bible of immaculate conception, like basically Mary became spontaneously pregnant. The universe impregnates you with ideas that you have to deliver, you have to give birth to. And, and that's literally what it feels like. You know, you, can, you, can, you can't resist a pregnancy. At some point, it's going to come out of your body. <laughs> and, um, and all you can do is prepare yourself for that. And so it changes, just like a real pregnancy, it changes your lifestyle. You have to stop drinking. You have to stop partying. You have to stop, you know, staying up late. You have to start honoring what's, what's being uh, incubated inside of you. And, and so you have that, that sort of inherent feeling like for a woman, you know, inherently they know something is different about me. If they're pregnant, they may not have the technology, you know, thousands of years ago to know oh, you're pregnant, but you know, something has shifted, something is different. And you just naturally want to go to bed earlier. And you just naturally want to eat better and, you know, all these kinds of things. So I feel like creativity and, and that's the kind of the way the, the universe works with us is it implants these, these creative ideas within us. And it's, it feels like there's this thing, this, this project or this idea that you just, it won't go away. It just won't go away until you start to do something about it. You can try to ignore it. And that's, I think that's one of the reasons why we, we live in a, in an alcohol centric culture is that we try to get away from it. Right. And it's a way of sort of disconnecting from our inherent um, purpose. But if we, I, I had stopped drinking, you know, long time before that, when I was in my mid twenties. So I was getting, I felt really connected and really clear along with the yoga and the meditation practice that at this point was daily. And then I got the idea. I was impregnated with the idea that you're supposed to write this book about happiness and it's going to be a self-published book. And was um, your first book self-published? And so get to work. Yeah. The first book was self-published. That's a big, I, I, I I did take it take the idea to a publisher. I had no idea what I was doing. You were just like, I got to do this. I'm making it happen. Yeah, I had like a two page summary of what the book was. No marketing. I didn't realize all publishers really care about is the marketing and the platform, right? They don't care about your idea. If you're you're, it's got to it can't be crazy like OJ Simpson. You know how I would have killed him. Even he got a book deal for that though because he has a platform. But yeah, it can be a heartbreaking experience to go and take like your this thing you're so passionate about and want to share. And they're like, okay, we care, but also let's just, but like, let me see what your platform no. is. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. How many followers yeah, do you come have back again? later. So anyway, it got rejected. But at that point, rejection for me is just like right. Tuesday. You I had go, that rejection. Yeah, I get, you know, stand in line. You want to reject me too? Okay. So I, I, I decided to take matters to my own hands and start writing my own, my own book. And uh, it, it wasn't like uh, I decided on Monday and then three months from that point, I had a book. It took me three and a half years to give birth to that, that book because I kept dragging my feet. But the, the idea never went away. And that's when I, when I realized that that's how it works with our relationship with the universe, you know, so... Eventually, um, I got to the point where I was so sick and tired of thinking about it that I wrote a check for $4,000 to one of my good friends, and I made him sign a contract that I created saying that if I don't finish 
if I don't get this book up on Amazon by such and such date, you are obligated to cash this check and spend it on anything that has nothing to do with me. And he signed it and I signed it. And after that, I had all the discipline in the world to finish that project because I couldn't afford to lose $4,000. That's amazing. And I finally got the book out. I finally got it out. I got it out a week before I said um, I I was going to initially get it out because I don't want to take any chances with me getting sick or getting hospitalized and losing that $4,000. So it was, and that's what I talk about now is how discipline really is not about, you know, determination and grit. It's about honesty. It's about being honest enough with yourself to know, hey, if I don't have any accountability, I'm going to keep kicking the can down the road. And I know what that accountability needs to look like. It needs to be something that is beyond what I'm willing to give. And if I put that on the line, I will show up. And if I don't, I'm not going to show up. And it's that simple. Yeah, I love that. It's like you're being honest with yourself. Like you needed to like take that external <laughs> like thing, even though it was on you self-publishing, you didn't have a publisher with a like deadline. So you had to take it into your own hands and create something to allow yourself to push through that probably resistance of, oh, okay, I'll get around to it later. This, that, like. <laughs> and that's what I learned later. The difference in having a publisher and not, because I've only worked with publishers since then is the publisher gives you a hard deadline and your advance is tied to the deadline. So you have to make it. And every single time, it doesn't feel like I'm going to make it. And I'm thinking to myself, if this was a self-published book, I would just I would just say, okay, you know, I just need another couple of months. I just need another few months. And you would never finish it. But there's magic in having that hard deadline. And if you can put something at stake, that forces you to honor that hard deadline, you're going to surprise yourself by the kind of creativity that you can come up with. I love that. And yeah, people can use that for your own, like whatever. It's like, you might not be out there like having some huge creative project, but yeah, like what is something you've been wanting to commit to yourself even? Oh, I've been wanting to uh, commit to a meditation practice or I've been wanting to move my body more. And it's so easy to just be like, oh, I didn't do it today. I'll do it tomorrow. Oh, I didn't do it today. I did it tomorrow. So like this way to commit to showing up, it's like having an accountability buddy, a friend. It's like... Hey, if I didn't text you this week, uh, you know, at least three times that I meditated, then I'm taking you to lunch on Saturday (laughs) or like, you know, like something like that, like having somebody else be there to hold you accountable. (laughs) You can be your own accountability partner by putting something on the line. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. And I think that uh, I feel like people can be like, oh, no, does that make me like weak or something? But it's no, it's you're being honest with yourself that... I need to do this thing. I will sometimes even, it's funny, like people are looking for like the magic to do something to move through. And I'm like, uh, honestly, sometimes you just have to like force yourself. Like, it's just that like, <laughs> yeah, there is magic. Always like- you have to force yourself. <laughs> 90% of the time it, you have to force yourself. It's no, there's no, there's no lackadaisical passive decisions. We want everything to be all pretty. <laughs> and like, I was like, yeah, I have these mindset steps that I take myself through. And then I also have to be like, just do the thing. <laughs> I just actually filmed an IG story before this of like, again, I told you, I was like, oh, I'm having a kind of funky day. And I knew having some exercise and movement would make me feel better. Still having that resistance to do it. And so re- the reminder that real self-love and self-care isn't always like nice and pretty and like doing the like, it's like forcing myself to do the thing I know I need to do to feel better. But I'd really just keep scrolling on social media or, <laughs> you know, like doing something else. You have, do you have children? Yes, I do have children. So I, I liken it to, you know, how with children, you have to tell them the same thing over and over as if you've never said it before. Right. And with coaching yourself up. It's the same thing. You have to tell yourself the same thing. Go exercise. I don't care. I know you're going to come with an excuse. Just go exercise. Just go do it. I know. Go do it anyway. I know. Go. It's like, that's what it is. You know, that same energy. And as a parent, that's what being a parent is, is being patient enough with yourself and forgiving enough with your children to understand that I'm just going to have to say it again. Even though I just told them five minutes ago, I'm just going to tell them again and I have to keep telling them until they finally get it. Yeah, but that's what it's like. That is real self-care and self-love is sure there's facials and meditation and like that, but it's also the like the forcing yourself to actually do those things or send the email or have the conversation that you're resisting to have, like whatever the thing is. Like that's the real. 
self-love is being honest with yourself and pushing yourself to do the thing. <laughs> okay, let's get back to you again. I, w- I would love to talk to, uh, so you're in Mexico City right now too. Do you still, how did you end up there? Is that like, do you still have this just like to travel and be about and like, um, let me just see what it's like <laughs> here and figuring out. I think it's all pretty clear now <laughs> what my what my mode of operating is. Yeah, I just kind of uh, I just follow my curiosity and uh, and I just landed here. I came here, um, so I okay. So I went nomadic in 2018. I gave up my two bedroom apartment in Santa Monica. I put it. I get got rid of anything that didn't fit into my carry on bag. Now it's a backpack, and I started just living permanently out of that carry-on bag on the road. And I would stay in Airbnbs and I would stay in friends' apartments and on couches and hotels and depending on where I was, what I was working on, you know, and, and that's been going on since May of 2018. So I just passed my four-year anniversary. And during that experience, I, I uh, was inspired to come and check out Mexico City, which I did a couple of times. And I fell in love with the culture down here and the place and um, so when the pandemic started, I happened to be in Los Angeles and I decided to, I decided Los Angeles was too weird and extreme. And, and I really, I kept thinking about the universe that impregnated the idea to go to Mexico City. So I gave birth to that by coming back down here. And I've been here for like a year and a half now. Wow. And I'm in an Airbnb. I'm still living from a backpack. I'm just in an Airbnb. Right now. So you still have just a backpack. I have less stuff than I had. I had too much stuff when I first left. Yeah. And I realized I, I have too much stuff. Do you mean by like a backpack, like a backpacker's backpack? Like a day pack, like like a kid. No, no, no. Like something a, a teenager would take to school. With wow. Them. Well, maybe your lesson back in high school of wearing the purple, like the wearing the one outfit. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's all coming you together. The one it's outfit. all coming together right now. <laughs> got the one capsule wardrobe outfit. It's all coming together. I've been preparing for this since freaking <laughs> high school. Oh, I love it. And yeah, I really just love, love that. Yeah, following your curiosity and where you stay. And, and when you were doing that nomadic life before you ended up there too, did you give yourself like, oh, I'm going to go here for a month? Or would it just be like, I'm going to go here until I feel like going somewhere else? That's what I yeah, assumed. Exactly. I'm like <laughs> I, the, the part of the lifestyle is you don't make long-term plans. Love it. I mean, obviously, if I get if I book a keynote or something, you know, four months from now, I'm gonna make I'm gonna plan around that, but that's about as far as it goes. Yeah. And I also don't have kids for those listening to this thinking, well, I, I can't do that because I have four kids. I don't have kids. So that's that's my experience, right? Maybe I'll have kids one day. I don't know. Maybe that'll yeah. change things up. I'm open to that. I'm open to everything. Yeah. I mean, that's what uh, pre-kids, I feel like I very much live my life the same way. And that's why it felt like a great time. Like when I did have the time, the kids kids like, yeah, I've done all the things that I was called to do. And now also my kids are a little bit older where it's like, oh, now it's again back to like I'm starting to have new desires. And it's like, oh, I've gotten through those younger ages where like, sure, they could come along with me on trips or I, I can leave them even for times. And so, yeah, just but also trusting your own journey. and. Nothing is permanent. Uh, okay. Uh, before I get to the questions I ask everybody, I wanted to, what, what, so what is the biggest thing you're working on right now that you like want to share with people? I'm finishing up my, my fourth book, which is on, Oh my gosh. Congrats. Is, thank you. It's about my adventures over these last four years, traveling through from a backpack. It's called travel light. It will be out in April of 2023. And uh, so we're still in the final stages of that project. And is it like memoir-esque or like, you know, is it pure memoir, but you do have like, got it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Memoir-esque with some tips. Yeah, it's, but even the tips are memoir-esque. It's just, I I don't know how to write really in any other way. I I don't, I think telling stories is the best way to, to, help people understand concepts and principles. So my last book, Knowing Where to Look, is a book of stories. It's 108 stories. And so it's meant to be opened anywhere and you know, read a story a day if you want or whatever you want to do. It's not a linear read. And, and the recent book, Travel Light, is, is kind of the same format. You choose your own adventure. 
So it's based on stories. You can crack it open anywhere, or you can read it linearly. So I actually wrote it so that it could be read linearly, but it also could be read randomly and spontaneously. And it's the same. But so it's like short stories, but not necessarily like the 108 is probably one page, sort of. Exactly. And these are like two pages, sometimes three page stories. Very cool. Yeah. And then I also had this community that I started during the pandemic called the Happiness Insiders because I realized what was missing. You know, I get all these DMs from people when they put out videos about following your purpose and, and overcoming fear and whatnot. And people just don't know how to do that. Like, where do I even start finding my purpose? Where do I even start with being my most authentic self, right? Because we throw these out, but nobody really knows how to start. And so I created a community that's sort of like master classes, right? You know, that platform master class teaching you how to cook and this and that. Well, this is all about inner work, teaching you how to do those nuts and bolts, uh, inner, inner activities, inner exercises so that you can become the best version of yourself. And then we also have a 108-day meditation challenge, 108-day movement challenge, 108-day diet challenge. So, you know, getting all of the different aspects of yourself, your mind, body, your spirit in alignment so that you can show up in the best possible way. And so is that someone would join and then they sort of get to like pick and choose where they like, oh, okay, I want to check out this masterclass or, you know what? Yeah, I'd, I'm going to try the 108 meditation day challenge sort of thing like that. So you get access and you get to go through it how you want. Exactly. Love it. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to ask you the questions I ask everybody. The first one is what are go-tos to raise your joy levels when you're maybe feeling a bit off? And- oh, man. Walking. I love walking. I love walking. I try to walk 10,000 steps a day if possible. And uh, I'm, I'm in, really into, I'm a foodie, so I'm really into good food and, and just, you know, connecting with wonderful people and learning about people. I still am a big people watcher. I love watching. I love talking to people like Uber drivers and baristas and just anyone I come across that those are, those are definitely opportunities to increase joy. Same. I love that you brought that up because, yeah, I love getting out, but I notice when I am sort of in some sort of funk personally or like the world, just like what is happening in the world that, yeah, like getting out and like going to a coffee shop and just having that even short interaction with the barista or like, yeah, checking out of a store and like having a little bit of a conversation, like a human to human interaction. Like even if you're not talking about like what's happening or what's bothering you, but just like that human interaction is can be such a shift in my energy. Um. Okay, I ask everybody to apply this phrase, what is easiest for you is not always what is best for you. So what is easiest for me is blank. What is best for me is blank. What is easiest for me is not working out. (laughs) What's best for me is working out. So I have to remind myself of that all the time. What's easiest is coming up with a good excuse not to work out, I should say. And what's best is is looking at that for what it is. This is an excuse, right? It's a story. It's probably not true. I'm really looking at it. And, and I, I run this, this sort of thought experiment with myself whenever I'm in a situation where, you know, I need to get the newsletter out or I need to make calls or I need to follow up with someone. And I start telling myself stories. I say to myself, you know, if I was your, if I was my own assistant and I was being paid a million dollars to do the job, right? how would I do this? What would I do? And when I get into that sort of mindset as my own assistant, then I'm able to kind of push through the resistance and say, well, you know, I'm being compensated for this. And the compensation obviously is not a million dollars, but it's the fulfillment of knowing that you follow through on your word. It's knowing that you're in integrity. It's knowing that you never feel bad for following through on your word. You always feel expansive. You always feel great. You always pat yourself on the back and, you know, And so I I just have to remember that feeling and just know that that's on the yonder side of my resistance. Yeah. I love that. Looking at it as if like, okay, if I was my own assistant, I would just be like, this is my job. It has to like be done or like, okay, like how can I jump into that? (laughs) Okay. The last question is the name of the podcast is Claim It um, because I feel so often many people, I'm sure maybe not you after talking to you, but we can put like, oh, our 
I will be successful when, I will be fulfilled when, I will feel enough when, and we're looking like outside of ourselves for these external things. Um, But I feel like if we focus on what would that feel like to feel successful or to feel like I'm enough or to feel like I'm fulfilled, uh, we can have access to actually claiming that right now, that it's not out there somewhere, it's within us. So what are you claiming for yourself right now? I'm claiming more gratitude even more gratitude for everything that's going, uh, everything that is aligned in my life and maybe even things that are not aligned because they're giving me opportunities to make different choices. So that's what I'm claiming. Love it. Thank you so much. It was so great to talk to you and all the little things that you shared that, yeah, it's like you were sharing your journey, but there were so many like great moments. Um, And yeah, we'll link to your, not, is it not a program? It's a, Community, community, community. There we go. That's the word. Community and books and all of your stuff. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation. I really haven't told these stories before, so thanks for bringing that out. That's my favorite. That's my favorite. When people are like, "Oh, I've never said this before. Oh, I've haven't thought about that." <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that podcast. For more from Light, check him at out at all things Light. Watkins for all things me, trishahuffman.com at underscore Trisha Huffman on social media. I also have at Claim It Podcast, at Your Dryologist. You can find my products at shop.yourdryologist.com. Get my app, Own Your Awesome, in the Apple app or Google Play Store. Make sure you get my book, F the Shoulds, Do the Wants. And if you already have it, will you go leave a review on Amazon, on Goodreads, anywhere you bought the book? Not only do I love reading your words, but reviews really help authors and books to be more discovered in the world and also to prove to publishers and booksellers to keep printing the book, keep keeping the book in stock, and maybe even let me write another one. (laughs) Not that you need to let me, but to also have a publisher publish the book, which is what happened with F the Shoulds, Do the Wants. I hope Light Story inspired you in some way. And just a reminder that you matter and you can claim your worth You can claim your joy. You can claim your success. Everything right now.